Hi, this is Chris Shelton, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud of being an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance, and you just call it faith in us. Coming at you from Secret Lair, BC, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I found out the German word for a bra is stopping from flopping. Oh my god! <laughs> Joining me as usual is a team who is just a matter of time before they add syndrome to them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's already been there for a while. <laughs> Her Viagra shipment was stolen. She's looking for hardened criminals. Nancy. Okay. <laughs> she has a step ladder. She never knew her real ladder. Christina. I, I literally didn't hear what you said, but okay. <laughs> she checked Don't it, ask him to reach She it. checked into the hokey pokey and then turned herself around. Kirsten. And walked straight out. <laughs> Ladies, welcome back. Hope you had a great week. It it was an interesting one. It always is. It happened, it that's is. for sure. So today we'll be uh, discussing with um, my interview, and I say my interview with Dr. Hector Garcia, because I say my interview because my three co-hosts decided to drop the ball on the show. Okay. Can you believe this? Now, first of all... You know, look, look I, at... Look at you know, just, after all no, we've been no, through... No, hold it, hold it. You've got three wonderful women who give you your moment to shine. <laughs> and what do we get? You abandoned me. Yeah, well, you, know, you, you guys are coming up with the worst excuses. I have to work. I'm sick. I'm in the middle of killing someone. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. Yeah. Excuses you yeah. predator to the police. And you, and, you don't, and you don't look at it as, as generosity on our part. I'm to starting to doubt the commitment you guys have for him. Uh, commitment? <laughs> now there's no. What would have ever given you the impression yeah. that we we were committed to the show. That's, yeah. Well, yeah. All right. <laughs> so anyway, we'll be talking to we Dr. Hector you, Garcia. Well, he talked. He turned and ran it real fast at that one. Let's. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but first, let's do a bit chit chat. So, um, you guys hear that uh, Mago Mussolini? Gross. Always known as the also known as the 45th president of the United States. Barf. Uh, some guy named Trump. <laughs> Gross. He's going to India next week, and uh, he's supposed to visit the Taj Mahal. <laughs> you know, which you, of course you do. And uh, the Taj Mahal is in the city of Agra, and the city is going to be in lockdown because of his visit. Right? Oh. Uh, people actually you know, are told, you know, there's kind of like a curfew. People are told they really, really actually can't leave their home. Uh, but the authorities are not afraid of that. They're afraid. They're afraid that the Trump uh, Trump might be attacked by monkeys. <laughs> oh, that would be the best thing. See, that see there's a whole bunch of rhesus. There's a whole bunch of rhesus monkeys in the they're area. They're gonna think his hair is like a tangerine or something. <laughs> the funny thing is, is officers have decided to, as a backup plan. The officers they'll provide security will be equipped with slingshots to chase <laughs> off the unwanted primates. Monkeys oh, are assholes. Why don't they? What if they slingshot the unwanted president? <laughs> well, you know that's I okay. Leave the monkeys alone, please. Fra- frankly, I, I'm gonna say to India. You know, frankly, I don't think they should worry about it because I'm told that um, the rhesus monkeys are actually 
you afraid of orange baboons anyway? Well, no. <laughs> he's more of an orangutan. No, yeah. orangutans are too smart. He's yeah. a baboon. So, <laughs> good luck, Donald Trump. Um, in, uh, in the science news, did you guys see that uh, molecular oxygen was actually spotted for the first time in another galaxy? I did. Yeah. I have, did not see anything. I, I saw the headline, so yeah. I know nothing about The galaxy about is about <laughs> half a billion light years away. Um, this is also uh, kind of concludes the chapter on oxygen's uh, role in the formation of livable planets. Uh, scientists have been struggling for decades to try to detect <laughs> oxygen. Uh, it's really, apparently, it's really hard to detect. Uh, and uh, this is in the galaxy called... Um, Andromeda. Mary Carrion 231, which is 581 million light years away. Damn. So, yeah, so now this so is... So, like, a quick vacation. Yeah, a quick turnaround, you know, just go <laughs> drop it in the neighborhood, you know. So, so this is, this is of course, you know, the scientific community is really excited about this because it also, it, it's another piece of the puzzle of how life began. Mm-hmm. Uh, life as we understand it anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. that's going to be interesting. Uh, last but certainly not least, I didn't even put notes for this, but I thought, you know, I, in Canadian news, how do you, what do you guys think about um, the whole pipeline protest thing they're having here in BC? Any Ooh, thoughts? I, I have thoughts, but it's hard to, like, translate. Um, <laughs> I think it's hard to translate anything you say, really. But. I think they're really important. The pipelines or the protests? The protests. Okay. Because the pipelines are being, are, they're attempting to put pipelines mm-hmm. in land that does not belong to Canada. Yeah. It is unceded territory. So this land belongs to the indigenous populations. Yes. Like, they're not no, but, Canadian lands. Yeah, well, let's, let's let's be specific here. This is not, because when you say that, the first thought that goes to my mind is, are you saying it's an island outside of Canada? No, no it's, it's actually it's, within the Dominion yeah. of Canada, but it's, a, it's a, the, the <laughs> Aboriginal rights, yeah. or the First Nation rights, are recognized on that piece of land as it's their land. Yeah. yeah. They get to have a say. But it's 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 not, can, like, Canadian, like, our laws don't apply there. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah. their land. Yeah. So... To put a Canadian pipeline through their land when they're saying no is disgusting. And it's so capitalist and just like, I'm thinking of the word, but it's not there. It's just, it's so barbaric. I'm, and it's. I'm going to play devil's gross. advocate here for half a second because I'm I understand. I, I, <laughs> I understand the flip side of the equation here. You know, the, this is a, a First Nation within Canada. The government does give them money and allowances and stuff like that and services and, and, and stuff like that. And this pipeline is, quote-unquote, as people sell it, as for the betterment of the Canadian economy. Uh, you know, I mean, I understand that nobody wants to have a pipeline in their backyard, but it has to go somewhere, <clears throat> right? So uh, are, are we, are we? I mean, uh, is, what kind of proposal would you suggest I mean, the, uh, the other option they have is to ship the, all that stuff by train, which is even more dangerous. I mean, when they when they say pipelines actually are safer than trains, they're correct. Uh, but I was wondering, you, uh, if, if you're playing the, the, the side of the protester here for, for, the, for the, the sake of this argument, what would you suggest they do? Find another route. Find another route? doesn't go through non-Canadian territory. Yeah, okay. Like, yeah. that, that would be, like, us fair. wanting to, like, put something through Alaska with America being like, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Like, Thank sorry. You. Like, they, that would be so stupid. <laughs> so I, I have to admit I haven't been following it as closely as you have. 
Has there been another route proposed? I have no idea. No, I don't think. I don't think there has been. Is it no. is it viable to have another route without you know going through the Panama Canal and coming back? Yeah, you'd you'd have you'd have all of a sudden you'd have uh, your cost would you know exponentially go up yeah. obviously to circumvent that territory. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I can understand that. You know, they're trying to trying to make a business case as well. So I, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. I I think that the protests though, with because like they've been stopping train travel. Yeah, yeah. And, and I even the prime minister's involved now. So I think that that's the only way that you can raise awareness because this has been going on for years. This isn't something that just started, and but but the Canadian public as a whole only found out about it because of these protests. No, I agree. I agree. And that's what the protests were designed to do. Like, yeah, it inconveniences you. You can't get to work some days. But that's but what's guess what? bringing the awareness. Your life, a few days suck. But these people, their whole existence is being potentially destroyed. Yeah, you're, you're, you're opening a whole new can of worms with this because what you're saying, essentially, you, you, we're talking about the right to protest there, and I agree with you. I mean, if you were to just do a, put the protesters in a designated protest area, people don't pay attention. The whole reason for a protest is to disturb mm-hmm. things. Yeah. So, uh, so people that get, oh, man, Women got the right to roads. vote yeah. by messing up society for a few, like... Exactly, we, exactly, you, right? You so, have to make people uncomfortable. So, so people... people People that say, oh, well, I wish they would just protest on the side when they don't disturb anybody, obviously don't understand what the hell they're talking yeah. about. And I totally get that. On the flip side of things, you know, when they're saying, for example, also that, oh, the, this pipeline was cr- going to create jobs. That's that's balladash. That's bullshit. I mean, it is going to create a few little jobs by the time they create the pipeline. But after that, it's down to minimal personnel. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the it's, standard party line. Whenever that, it you is, can't think it of any, it's going to create yeah. jobs. Yeah. And by this time, people ought to say, mm-hmm. that's, this, that's, no, that's totally that's bullshit. Bogus. It's going to give a few contracts yeah. to a few contractors yeah. for them to build a pipeline. Once the pipeline is built, mm-hmm. you're down to three guys washing yeah. the yeah. pipeline the entire thing. They say it's going to create jobs. That doesn't mean it's going to create lasting jobs. No, exactly. There's a difference. Exactly. It's, it's very it's not a career. Job. Very yeah. temporary job. I, do you think these Aboriginal these Aboriginals? I should, I should really use First Nations instead. Do you really think these First Nations people would be more open to something like that if, for example, um, the pipeline was? Instead of double line, triple line, quadruple line wall, like really safety beyond. I have, I have no idea because. Because I think that's what I, they always fear. They always fear that the pipeline breaks, and they do. Mm-hmm. And you know, they say they're double wall, yes, but you know what? The, the bitumen and stuff that goes like that, it's like sandpaper. It, it erodes mm-hmm. the inside, and eventually it breaks. But if yeah. you had something that was like really over the top, nearly impossible to break, mm-hmm. I think that would stop. But it, it, I think a lot of companies, of course, their business plan is to save as much money as totally. they can. As, as, so they, they never propose such an option. Yeah, and they look at act, they look at disasters that happen with their pipelines as loss margins. Yeah. Like, they don't look at the lives that are this impacted. Is, they, they they look at, oh, that's a few... That's it's collateral like, damage. Yeah. yeah. They and don't care. There's an ugly little word for that in economics. It's called externalities. Uh, essentially, what they're doing is they're, 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 they're basically saying, okay, how much is this disaster going to cost us versus how much is it going to cost us to yeah. fix... Yeah. The, 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 for Make the solution. Improve. And if the solution is more expensive than cleaning up the mess... They're just going to clean yeah. up the mess and keep it, you know, yeah. keep repeating the mess. And I, I think in a really important aspect of this whole issue is is around consent. Because mm-hmm. Canada is wanting to put a pipeline through a territory that they don't own. Mm-hmm. And that people who own that territory are saying no. And Canada is not respecting 
their consent. They're just like, okay, well, I'm going to... I'm going to push and push and I'm going to make it miserable for you until you say yes. Mm -hmm. That is not respecting this territory's autonomy. Yeah. That's that's using the your bigger stick to yeah. be like I don't care that we've <clears throat> literally taken the rest of your land and given you this one little patch. Mm -hmm. Because I want that patch now. Yeah. yeah. It's more convenient for us to put our shit through that patch. So we don't care yeah. about your lives. And that's true on both sides of the border, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, as, as much as I'm as, as green as the next guy, um, and I, I, this is a bit of a poking at my green friends here, I think it's unrealistic for people to say, just leave, leave, leave the oil in the sand or leave the oil in the ground. Um, oil is, as, as much as I want to see it disappear, we have a tendency to think oil just powers cars. Just about every facet of our society has oil in it, you know, yeah. even our medicine. So for us to just think we're just going to leave the oil in the ground is unrealistic. I'm not saying I'm saying what we need to do is start weaning ourselves off it. Mm -hmm, totally. But you can't do it instantly. It's like any long running exactly. medication. Exactly. You can't just drop it. There's going to be serious side effects. I think of what it. these politicians should do is what uh, the NDP did, for example, to appease the Greens. You gotta throw, them a, uh, throw the Green a bone, right? Like they said, you know, they will build a sightsee dam, but they stop the trophy hunt. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the, the hunting for the, the, the grizzly bears. So you throw the environmentalist a bone. So you said, okay, we're gonna build a pipeline, but we're also gonna build a power, a solar power farm or something like that. Now you gather attention. Balance. Because you, exactly. You're balancing, right? You, you start to show that you're going to wean away. But if you're just going to ram in and say, no, well, we need jobs, we need oil, we need to bring to market, yeah. market, 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 money, 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 it falls on deaf ears. And this is, you know, for my conservative friends and, you know, people that are all that pro-pipeline, you have to be smarter about this. Uh, anyway. Yeah. And what bothers me is we never know what's really going on behind the scenes, no. and we generally don't find out until five or ten yeah. years later. So mm -hmm. we really don't know what kinds of deals and what kind of arrangements are yeah. are waiting, mm -hmm. you know, for certain things to happen and who's really going to benefit and where the money is going. And the, it's the unknowns that a lot of times get you at the, in the end. And, of course, for these pipelines, you know, the vast majority of these companies have horrible, horrible records mm -hmm. uh, of really not caring you yeah. know when uh, when a spill happens yeah. and it impacts like a lot of people and you just toss a bit of money at it and then you just toss a, a slap suit to stop you from taking them to court so it's like this is a problem with capitalism in that sense right it's like putting yeah. a band-aid on a bullet wound yeah pretty much right you know and hoping that you don't sue them and you know, whatever yeah. but as overall i personally 100 percent support the protesters yeah, and that's, that, that's in disrupting fair. society. That's what you have to do. And that's perfectly fair, and that's, that's, that's how you get shit. That's done. kind of what a protest does, and, yeah. and and that's okay with that. And if they if you if you start accepting the fact that you need to not disturb people when you're protesting, then you've you've basically fallen for the idea and that you know. Just to have this said, disturbing society and disrupting society is one thing. Being violent is a whole other oh, yeah, thing. Don't so, do that, yes. people. Yes. Don't do that. Well, okay. Unless you have the opportunity to eat someone who's rich. And then of course, eat the rich. This is a, this, this is a <laughs> great show idea. This, this is a great show idea, what you're suggesting there. Because in a way, what a lot of people say, you know, nobody wants violence. But if you just look at the history of, uh, of uh, protests in the past, it's when there's a violent option. Like, for example, people, the British Empire started negotiating with Mahatma Gandhi because there was another violent faction that was much more violent than him. Yes. So it was easier for them to negotiate with the guy that was peaceful. So same thing with Martin Luther King and, and Malcolm X, right? They'll talk with King because they didn't want to talk with Malcolm. Because the opposition is like, 
That's terrifying. This is a better option. Exactly. We're, we're exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but you know, it's it's you you cannot affect change by just asking politely. No. You have uh, to create some disturbance. Absolutely. Okay. Anyway, but like, don't go out shooting and attacking. Totally people. a show for for another show. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I opened that can of worms there. But anyway, <laughs> it's a fun can of worms. My dear Nancy, you got a top ten for us? I do, and this is kind of reoccurring a little bit because every now and then I like to check in. Um, to see what's going on with Netflix because it shows for you. So here, can you tell we watch Netflix? (laughs) These are the best shows on Netflix as of January. So if they're the best ones, I want to see who in our little group has seen any of these. Probably all of them. Okay, these aren't in any particular order. They're just ten of them. And the first one is a drama called The Haunting of Hill House. I have not watched that yet. Yes. You've watched it? I have not yet. Oh my gosh. Oh wow. This TV show is amazing. Is it a horror? It is a horror TV show, but yes. which are amazing. It approaches mental illness in such a stark way hmm. that is so fascinating. And it does mix mental illness with the supernatural, hmm. but it does it in a way that doesn't pin all mental illness always as it's just supernatural. Like it's it's fascinating and it it's it's like a mystery as well, and there's really interesting dynamics between the different characters. And it's shot beautifully. The music is amazing. It, it's amazing. I I love this show. So other than that, how do you really feel about it? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. You're, I mean, if, if you recommend it, then there's... I, I understand it is a character-driven show. Yes, 100%. So, it doesn't yeah. rely on jump scares. Okay. It doesn't rely on tropes. It is it is a character-driven nice. TV okay. show. The Haunting of Hill House. Is it in the first season, second season? Uh, there is just one season, and I believe that there is not going to be any more. Oh, wow. That's, you know... Okay, so let's turn our attention to another one. Uh, those of you who like Margaret Atwood, there's Alias Grace. I have never heard of this. <laughs> a- a- Alias Grace uh, begins with a mystery. Um, the uh, Grace is serving a sentence for murder, and her male accomplice was hanged. And she has a lot of supporters, and she hires um, a doctor, Dr. Jordan, to interview Grace and hopefully reveal the truth that will absolve her. And um, the novel really was a wonderful novel, and I understand that the... Uh, the Netflix show follows the novel pretty nice. carefully. Yeah, so um, it weaves a tale about what it's like to be in a woman's world that's governed by men. It's interesting. How? Um, <laughs> are these all from Canadian Netflix? Or you is know, it just I Netflix don't in know. general? I know there are some Canadians who get the U.S. Netflix by some, you know, circuitous Yeah, group. I used to, and then they fixed yeah. it. Yeah, and, you know, some of our... Some of our viewers are U.S. and some Canadian. Mm-hmm. Let us know if there's any of these that you do yeah. or don't get. If these so, are all Netflix originals, yeah, and and then, then I'll do all one. Be on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Then I'll I'll do one that's all Canadian the next time. Yeah, the next time around. Because like we don't get the Studio Ghibli. Movies. But I don't know. Margaret Edwards, a Canadian writer, so I don't know whether or not that would have anything to do. Should have checked that out. Thanks. Okay, the next one is called Peaky Blinders. I've heard of this. I haven't seen it. It's set in the aftermath of World War 
one, and it has to do with a British crime family called the Shelbys. So it's supposed to be, you know, uh, it's set in Birmingham, and the fo it follows Tommy and his family as they move up in the in the crime world. So it's interesting. I love period mm -hmm. uh, uh, movies anyway. See, I'm not, I'm like not huge on period pieces. Yeah. yeah, I like more modern stuff. Yeah, and like fantasy, of course, fantasy. Yeah. Um, the next one is called Marianne. Nope. Uh, this I've is about a novelist who has made a fortune writing a number of horror novels about an evil witch named Marianne mm. and the young heroine destined to fight her. But after a decade, she's ready to put the saga behind her, but the past comes back. Interesting. In. Yeah, so that may be something, you know, uh, sounds like it's sort of creepy. Yeah. So those of you who are into creep, I love there's horror. definite one to look at. And here's one called Mind Hunter. Do you know that one? Ooh, I haven't finished it. I've only seen like half of the first season. It was a little slow for me personally. It is definitely a one that you have to kind of like watch. It's mm. not really one you can just have on the background because mm -hmm. it's it's also a very exposition and character study because it's about the birth of the um, what's it called? Like where? Uh, it's in the FBI, and they're just starting to like study the the mind of criminals mm -hmm. and specifically serial killers. Oh, that's why and you're a, interested in yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, so it's more on criminal psychology. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, it's like the one, birth of criminal minds. Yeah. <laughs> this, one, this one may or may not be confined to the U.S., hard to tell, but it's really popular. The People versus O.J. Simpson. I don't know whether that's on both sides I, that, or not. I, I, I want to like say I crime. think I've seen that one on the Canadian one. Oh, okay. This Not is that a I've limited, ever watched yeah, it. But. It's a limited series, so mm. it wouldn't be one that I. I mean, after I, 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 living I through all of it, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. want crime stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's no, sort of like you. what else can we do? Okay, let's throw on another one about O.J. Simpson. I'm surprised that that it's on the list. So there may be something really redeeming about this particular one, but. Not anything I'd go out of my mind. I think I think I think you should have waited maybe another ten years before you release something yeah. like that. You know, let let OG Simpson disappear from public memory. Uh, yeah, um, here's one that just has it, 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 it's enthralled everybody. I've never read a bad review. Mad Men. Oh, okay. It, 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 it has to do with New York in the one. '60s <laughs> about advertising, and it's just supposed to. I I I never followed it, but I heard it was. Which is I think James Wood works, uh, works in that one, right? I have no idea. I, it's okay. it's not my kind of show. No. I, I always wanted to watch it because it got such good reviews, and then I thought, oh. I'm, I'm watching Star Trek The Next Generation right yeah. now. It's such a better show. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the nice thing is that you can go back to the beginning and watch it. It's not like you have to start with, you know, mm -hmm. but even so, Breaking Bad. Which no, also I, got really good reviews. I Everybody loves that half thing. the first yeah. episode. Did <laughs> you? Like, I can't did do you it. I've, ne I've never watched it. I've never yeah, watched Brian it. Brian Cranston no. is supposed to be... It's supposed to be a Cranston. tour de force. It's really what, Cran what made Cranston, really, that, that, yeah. that series. And I, I love the... Uh, have you seen the Canadian version of Breaking Bad? I don't... I, I Wait, don't watch... There's the Canadian Yeah, yeah, but yeah. You, you, know the premise, you know the premise of the show, right? The premise of the show is that he's a, he's a professor. Yeah. He's a chemistry professor. And he has cancer. And then he goes into making yeah. drugs, right? The Canadian version is he's a professor. He gets cancer. He just gets universal health care. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's just like one episode. It's done. That's the kitty version. That's fun. And connected with Breaking Bad Better is Call another Saul. one called Better Call Saul, yeah. which is sort of the origin of, of that. Have you watched no, that? No, no, I have not. I have not. Okay, here's a classic. An absolute, one of my favorite series of all times, The West Wing. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've seen some of it. I've also seen some of this. And I never was a a Martin Sheen fan, but I loved him. I loved the cast. Yeah, Martin Sheen was very, very good at it. And there's there's this tirade where he he talks about uh, being leftist and liberal as compared to conservative. It's like it's a like a two minute rant of it's fantastic. It's yeah, just beautiful. It, it, it was. I've only seen I, scattered episodes it, when I was living with my parents. The the last couple of episodes where it had the, a, another election, um, I it kind of fell off to me the, the core of the show. But the first, how many series? How many? There's quite uh, a few seasons. Three, something like three seasons. <laughs> but it was just, the, the writing, everything everything was great mm-hmm. about it. Um, here's one that was an A&E exclusive called The Return, which is a French supernatural thriller. <gasps> oh, I have oh, not. Oh, my gosh. Oh. This show is amazing. Do not watch the American remake. It is horrible. I haven't watched it The American yet. remake is dog shit. The French... The, the French one is a masterpiece Ooh. in filmmaking. It It is also a character-driven show. Mm-hmm. It is suspenseful. It's a mystery. You don't know what's going on. The It's atmospheric. Ooh. Like, it is so atmospheric. It makes me want to learn French because it's, like, gorgeous. Kevin. And it's, it's a contained show. So it's... It's set in a valley, and they they don't go outside of it, and you it's just like the interactions between these people, and it's there's also supernatural things going on, and it's like oh like because the the premise of the first episode this isn't a spoiler is the ma- the quote unquote main character is she's on a her school bus coming home, and then the school bus like goes off a cliff. And then the next scene is like her like climbing up the hill and like like kind of confused and she walks home. And then she gets home and she's like getting things from the fridge and she's like to like her mom comes in and she's like, oh my gosh, you won't believe what happened. And then she turns around and her mom is just like sitting there like mouth drop, like what is happening right now? Because she's been dead for five years. Oh. And she's just like, what's happening? <laughs> and yeah, so it's it's fascinating, 100% suggest you watch it. And it also has Nymphadora Tonks in it. So. You know, the, oh, the, well, write, the writing has to be the writing has to be superb to pull that one off. Oh, it because the writing it, is the writing, amazing. Yeah, if the writing wasn't good, everything would Every just be... Every single yeah. episode is wonderful. Oh, there are good. no there are no twists in that show that you're like, why did they just do that? It's like, ooh, fascinating. This is amazing. Yeah, and the music is amazing, too. The music is beautiful. Right on. Okay, last one. Uh, this is one from AMC called Halt and Catch Fire. It's Never a period it. piece about in the same vein as uh, as Mad Men. It takes place in Texas during the technology boom of the 1980s. So hmm. it sounds like it's a dynamic, a, a dynamic show. Um, 
season one is supposed to be meh, but season two, it really, that's when it, it gets going. So it's one of those where you've got to endure a little bit before it gets mm-hmm. to the good part. All right, lots, lots they of They didn't mention Stephen the Witcher. Lord. This is bullshit. <laughs> okay, so that was that was going to be my next question. What on Netflix have you watched that you could recommend or absolutely not recommend? Oh, um, well, I'm going to go off Netflix for a second. Okay. No, I, she said Netflix. No, Are no, you going to go to Amazon Prime? Or do that. I just watched a TV show. I think it was on Crave. I think. Uh, Picard. Star oh. Trek Picard. Okay, fair it's enough. It's amazing. Watch okay. it if you're able to. You will not be disappointed. There's only like four episodes, but every single episode is golden. It's amazing. I've watched recently on Netflix, and this this is more... I've always been a big documentary guy. And uh, this is a very light-hearted documentary series called The Toys That Made Us. Hmm. Mm, the what? It, the Toys That Made Us. Oh, The Toys That Made it's Us. It's basically a show that basically describes, you know, for example, uh, the origins of the G.I. Joe doll mm-hmm. and the Barbie doll and how behind the scenes, how it came so close to just failing and some guy <laughs> and just made a snap decision you know I, and i was watching the other day the uh, the uh, of course from my childhood uh he-man and the masters of the universe and how this is the first toy that actually the cartoon was created to market the toy the toy came not out the of, other way not around the other way around mm-hmm. right and it, it was basically the first of its jaw that was barbie movies are low-key amazing yeah and just it, saying it, that it spawned, it spawned <laughs> things like the transformers and, and all these other things that were part of my childhood right and it was just it's 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 witty it's uh it's funny and it's really well done uh, as a nice little documentary i, I really love the transformers it. okay Kirsten, anything in particular? Uh, well, I just finished watching on Netflix. It's an original that they did with with DreamWorks, which is like it's stunningly colorful. The music is amazing. There's like dubstep bees, which is mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, it's called Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts. Oh. Hmm. Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts. Yes. We watch okay. kids shows in our house. Okay, that's fine. They're amazing. <laughs> it's an animated show. I wouldn't necessarily. I, it, I mean, kids could watch it. It's not like terrifying mm-hmm. but yeah i like animated shows i haven't really watched tv a lot lately yeah you, you, you guys are it's interesting to watch your generation because you know as, as much as i watch cartoons they were kind of local cartoon but now there's no cartoons anymore there's anime and it's very well, different nope, nope. it's very Japan, japanese it's no, there's very, cartoons there's well, but i mean it's not as much as it was it's i think the difference is just the animation style yeah it's I think the divide comes from like a little bit the origin. It might be inspired because you'll see a lot of um, like some Netflix originals look very mm. much like anime, and they're definitely inspired by that. But I don't know if I would necessarily put them in the anime category. Yeah, like the Dragon One. What is it called? Dragon Prince. Yeah, Dragon Prince. I, that's definitely like more cartoony. Yeah, I would definitely anime. say that one is a cartoon versus anime. Mm. Yeah, which is such a good show, by the way. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. Actually, watch I, I've seen that that, that one. I, I, I agree. Uh, I, you know, I'm not a huge fan of anime. I, I find it funny that, you know, the premise is always the same. I well, love anime. Well, I mean, it's always the same. <laughs> Me too. It's, it's, it's always like there's a bad guy, hero comes, gets his ass kicked, trains, comes back. Wow. Super powerful. That sounds like every superhero movie it does. that exists. There's, it really does. Animated right? or not. There's only been one anime that I've actually regretted spending my time watching. 
Death Note. I was going to say, I think I know Death what Note, it is. really? Yeah. I oh. got to the end of that show, and I'm like... Well, I got to, like, five episodes before the end of that show, and I'm like, okay, I just got to finish it, because I got to finish it. At the end, I was so happy with how they ended it. Like, I was... I was Just so, don't spoil it for anyone I'm, that I'm not wants going to watch it. They made a movie out of it. Yeah, but the movie's dog shit. <laughs> like, seriously. Americans cannot remake no, Japanese. Like, like, I was going to say. When I heard they were thinking about... Making an American version of Train to Busan. Oh, I no, my shit. No, that's an amazing movie. Oh, yeah, guys, go watch Train go to watch Busan. Go watch that. It's, it's, a, it's the best song we've talked about this ever. Uh, we probably have. It's Korean, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I knew it. It is. It's it Korean. is Korean. Yeah. All right. It's so good. Perfect. Oh, my foot's asleep. Fuck. <laughs> that was random. I could say other shows. I was just thinking of one, but I, I cannot. All right. Well, anyway, moving on. <laughs> While she's nursing her foot, you got another brilliant moment for us? I do. Brought to you by religion. Uh, so... Are you gonna be okay over there? It's fine, it's just... It's a needle. I'm muting her. <gasps> How could you? So, in another bizarrely, not so bizarrely, misguided and potentially harmful post from Girl Defined, Sister Bethany Beale, uh, young women are told to stop loving themselves so damn much. <gasps> That. Oh, don't you hate those feel good moments? <laughs> the post is prompted by one of those self affirmation videos in which a girl looks at herself in the mirror and says things like, I am amazing or I can do anything. No, no, you're right. You're, you're much better off to say when the Bible tells you to say, I'm a sinner, I'm not worthy. To most people, that's a pleasant way to remind yourself how capable you are. Not everyone has a lot of self confidence, after all. Yep. And if no one else is reminding you of your worth, then why not give yourself a little boost? Sometimes that's what it takes to get through your day. Mm-hmm. It's like, just one more hour. And it's a really healthy thing to do. It yeah. is. Because over time, it will change how you think about yourself and how you look at yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's, it's horrible that these people thinking, you know, just, just being pleased with yourself is not cockiness. But these people think so. These people think, you know, as soon as, as soon as you're happy, hey, I did a good job there. Oh, no, you're arrogant. You're prideful. Or it's the devil yeah. working in your brain. It's like, but rather than admit, like, it's nice to give yourself a little boost. Beale says self-affirmation is a bad idea. I think these solutions to self-worth and confidence will only do more harm than good in the long run. These kinds of pep talks can only last so long. What happens when you're genuinely not awesome? When you truly disappoint someone. When someone disappoints you. Okay, well, first of all, if someone's disappointing you, that's not, like, something you did. That's their, what they did. That's right. Just go ahead and uh, look in the mirror and say, I'm second rate, and I, <laughs> and I love it. This is a new oh, tagline for this oh. show. Uh, Left of the Valley, when you genuinely not awesome. <laughs> when you look in the mirror and say, I am amazing, but deep inside, you know that, you are, that you're not. <laughs> oh, wow. oh, my God. There's I mean, a quote no, that I... I, I you, can tell, you can tell from a thousand miles the people that actually believe their own bullshit. You know, like, if somebody goes out there and really thinks, I'm so freaking awesomely cool you can spot these people from a mile away yeah but somebody that looks at themselves like yeah i'm pretty cool right now and the thing is you can look at yourself and like genuinely be like you know what i am i'm genuinely a cool person yeah 
I can do that. Even still, when interacting with others, have empathy and realize that, okay, even though I am a like, wonderful person, I can still have negative interactions with others and I can still hurt people by accident and that's okay. It doesn't take away from my self-worth. Exactly. It just means that people are complicated and you have to communicate and have empathy and learn from your mistakes. It doesn't make you not an okay person. Yeah. Exactly. Well, this isn't this isn't about a woman, but my my husband <clears throat> who was a, a toastmaster um, had, had a lot of vitality and when he'd get up in the morning... Can I just jump in here for a sec? Pardon? You said Toastmaster. Oh, I thought he was, you, a, he no, was no, a public speaker. No, no, no. Yeah, I just he makes want, really good toast. I, yeah. I, just, I just want to like, explain what yeah. went in my Please head. Please do. Oh. I just like pictured your husband like in a room full of toasters. Yeah, there you go. Being like, oh, that like, too. I got this. That too. But it's, it, it's a way of conquering your fear of public speaking and becoming yes. becoming mm. one with your with your audience. It's a That's wonderful awesome. It's a great organization. It, it, it's it's world, worldwide and it's wonderful. Yep. And he would, when he'd be in the, in the morning and he'd be in the bathroom, he'd brush his teeth and he'd look in the mirror and he'd say, boy, am I enthusiastic. And he'd give this big, wonderful Irish smile. And at first I thought, this man is bonkers. And I thought, you know, this is one of those phony, you know, pep him up things. And, and the more we lived together and the more I understood him and, and the more we'd laugh about it, the more I realized that it was a wonderful way for him to start his day mm-hmm. because it was funny and he'd laugh at himself and it was a reminder. And both of us would get up and say, boy, am I enthusiastic. But we would be, you know, in a fun, see, see, Nancy, fun kind of this, a way. This is why it you're, was, this is why you're fallen. This is why you're fallen. You're, you're too pride before God. I'm so, too much pride before God. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah. No, you have to look at yourself in the morning and say, I so suck. Yeah. I so suck. I don't deserve to live. Oh, please, let's go to church yeah. now. Yeah. Positive affirmations are such a strong way to help improve your mental health. Mm-hmm. They can like, be. They like, really can be. They, they're really helpful. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Louise. We'll take a quick pause right now, and when we come back, we'll have my interview with Dr. Hector Garcia. Yeah, you keep playing that up. Uh-huh. We'll be right back. <laughs> Alors, nous sommes ici aujourd'hui pour pouvoir reconnaître les efforts We are here to recognize de le changement climatique. When it comes to fighting climate change, que la personne de Greta Thunberg, Greta Thunberg a beaucoup poussé la discussion sur ce que les générations futures doivent espérer et de tous nos efforts communautaires en tant que l'humanité Hey, I mean, I mean, no, no, no. Who, who, who does this tomato soup with blueberries? It's, it's disgusting. Uh, I don't want to talk about this. Uh, we do not uh, say speak of these. Uh, well, must be t- t- Trump voters or something like that. No, 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 no. Pas du tout, pas du tout. Listen to the Zachary Lidge cast. 
podcast, YouTube video, interview program that features me talking to some of the best and brightest in the atheist slash secular slash awesome community. I interview people. We curse and usually drink beer because why not? It's the Zachrilege cast, Z-A-C-H-R-I-L-E-G-E, and I can spell it after two beers so you can too. How can you see to my eyes like open doors leading you down into my core or I become so numb? It is far past time that we end all of that. There's absolutely no reason in 2013 that we should continue to have arguments about what it explicitly says in the book. It actually, word for word, read it and stop making excuses for it. God and sex, power, and partisanship. He is a psychologist. He is a snappy dresser and a snappy dancer. Dr. Hector Garcia, welcome back to Left of the Valley. Kevin, good to talk to you again, man. <laughs> Hope you didn't miss us too much. <laughs> I missed you tremendously. Oh, well, with every bullet so far. But we always love having you on the show, <laughs> of course. <laughs> hey, uh, Hector. On for- that topic. <laughs> exactly. And we'll be- get into that for a minute. But for those, uh, we always have some new uh, listeners, obviously. Maybe you'd be, give, uh, you'd be so kind of give us a quick bio as to who Dr. Hector Garcia is. Well, as you mentioned, I'm a clinical psychologist. I. Um... I specialize in PTSD, working mostly with with uh, military veterans. I write books about war, the origins of war. Um, uh, I'm really fascinated by the evolutionary sciences, evolutionary psychology and biology, and I've written. And those two books you just mentioned are are grounded in in those sciences with a view to explain, um, you know, politics and religion, things we're not supposed to talk about, supposedly. So, and they are fantastic books and fantastic reads, by the way, highly recommended. Um, so, Doctor, I'm going to ask you today. Uh, this is an interesting topic because um, you know, from a Canadian point of view. Uh, we've been besides the United States, and we've been an ally to the United States for the longest time. And a lot of our audience, uh, half our audience is Canadian, half our audience is from the United States. Uh, but it it puzzles us uh, as Canadians how, although just a simple imaginary line over over, over the 49th parallel separates us, how incredibly different, yet similar, our cultures really are, and especially when it comes to aspects of. Uh, aggression between nations and war. And when you look at the history of the United States, we're talking about you know, a country that has, for the longest part of its history, been more at war than it has been in peacetimes in the United States. And I was wondering, you know, what, what as a psychologist yourself that's dealt with evolution and, and the, the, the psyche of, you know, male ego, et cetera, et cetera, what are your thoughts as to why there's such an aggressive stance when it comes to America? as compared to maybe a country like ours or another country around the world. That's a great topic. It's a huge topic. It's a broad topic. It's a fascinating topic. Yeah, so, you know, I I think a lot of the world would agree with you. You know, there's certainly an air of um, 
uh, romantic militarism in the U.S. I, mm-hmm. I, for example, live in San Antonio, which be, has a huge military presence, and because of that, it's been called Military City USA. There's so much patriotism. There's so much focus on the military, and it has kind of a religious flavor about it. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of that kind of sentiment across the U.S. But, you know, we, we had talked in prior episodes about tribalism, mm. right? And, you know, I think all of us have, uh, you know, have a history of tribalism in our evolutionary past. And it's within us all to a certain degree. Um, and I would argue pretty similar, uh, to a pretty similar degree across across humankind, you know. And some some places it gets expressed more than others, but... When you look back at at our evolutionary history, it seems to have been marred by pretty much constant warfare. I mean, when we were hunter gatherers, it was it was um, incredibly violent times. Mm-hmm. I mean, looking at contemporary hunter gatherers, there are some groups where up to thirty, forty, even fifty percent of men in these groups will be killed by by other men in in violent competition. So um, that is a huge selective pressure, right? And we can look at the archaeological record and see signs of warfare, signs, you know, massacre sites with embedded spear points and crushed bones and skulls and stuff like that. Warfare was pretty common. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, at the root of that was, was competition between groups for resources. And, um, and, I, and you know, it's something that I, that I unpack in my uh, – in my most recent TED talk, why we, why we make war. A lot of this is very ancient, Kevin. Like it, it goes back to when we were, were, look, first of all, who fights wars? If there's, if there's one demographic, (laughs) you know, that, that we can use to predict war, what would that be? I would think it'd be uh, young men, young males, young men. I mean, it's the single biggest predictor. And so, you know, we are, you know, life is is competes for resources, and and when we look at other other primate species, a lot of times, you know, males compete for 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 sex, males compete for access to mates. Um, you know, baboons will chase each other, uh, and uh, you know, attacking each other with these huge canines to win groups of females. You know, um, gorillas do that kind of thing. They fight each other for access to females. Male chimpanzees will form these war parties, raid the neighboring communities, kill all the males, and take over their territory and their females. Well, men have done this forever. You know, um, raids against a rival tribe mm-hmm. where, where you know, the tribe is slaughtered and the women are taken as their, as their wives. As a matter uh, of fact, I still throw my feces at rival males. You do that, and that's really <laughs> disgusting, but it's effective, I imagine. <laughs> but but my point is, my point is, you know, th- th- we all have this 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 propensity, right? For most of our history, we we had conducted raids on our neighbors, where you know whether we're talking like the primordial tribe or the organized armies to take their resources, whether females or territory or or farmland, or hunting land, or money. Um, today, that's not even totally necessary because the obscene amounts of money to be made off defense contracts. You know, the war machine costs money. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, historians tend to point out, for example, that 
that um, entering the Second World War is what lifted the U.S. out of the Great Depression, and, and, it, and it taught those people at the top of the largest corporations that that in an American capitalist economy, maximizing profits is way easier during times of war than at times of peace, mm. and. And, you know, cooperation from government is key, and we have a system in which, at least in the United States, where money corporate interests have, in my opinion, a dangerous amount of influence over public policy. So, so there is money to be made off of war. Yeah. That's one factor. Yeah. You know, in the, in the, uh, the late Carl Sagan wrote the, the book Contact that was made into a movie. And in, in, the, in the movie, in his book, the protagonist is asked at some point, what questions would they ask if they encounter uh, uh, another alien intelligence? And she answers that basically the question she would ask was, how did you get out of this uh, technological uh, adolescence? To, to, to grow but it seems that when it comes to war although maybe we could see as a species that maybe our technology is a, a, a level of adolescence it seems that when it comes to our attitudes towards war we're still very uh, infantile and I'm wondering you know are we doomed as a species to remain that to to, to, be, to, to cave to our very lower basic instinct I you know I don't think so. There's 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 a lot of hope for for us as a species, you know, given the right the right set of circumstances, but you know, oh gosh, there's there's a huge body of research showing that we have gotten progressively more peaceable. You know, I mean, probably the best example of this is Steven Pinker's book Better, Better Angels of Our of Our Nature. Uh, and also an excellent book. Yeah, right. And I we may have even talked about this uh, last time we spoke but i mean when you when you compare um rates of of, of warfare and homicide since we were hunter gatherers all up to the way into the modern day we're incredibly much more much more peaceable than we were before mm-hmm. yes um but there's just but but so one of the one of the factors uh, you know driving you know i think americans america's interest in war is that there's just so much money to be made Today, the, the largest defense contractors in the world are all U.S. companies. Mm. So, so like, for example, in, in 2018, Lockheed, Lockheed and Martin was the largest. They sold 40, almost like, almost, I want to say, I can't remember the exact number, almost 50 billion in arms sales and military service sales. 50 billion, the B. Hmm. So... You know, a good chunk of our economy is tied to the military-industrial complex. So the super rich, you know, they uh, they often need an enemy to justify these mind-boggling expenditures. So it seems that instead of the old-fashioned way of going to war to acquire resources that you can plunder from nature, now we are going to war to create uh, resources. To create an economy, exactly. Yeah. We don't even need to go take. I mean, we don't even need to go take the rival tribes' resources. We just, we just create a, a you know a, a military economy, and where we, we produce, you know, massive amounts of arms uh, through government contracts mm-hmm. and and make corporations just filthy rich or sell them to other nations too. Which yeah. which is mind boggling to me because I, I still remember that black and white uh, short film from a. Uh, uh, Eisenhower warning the American people uh, at the end of his presidency of exactly that, the, the military industrial right. complex, right? And I, I'm a Canadian, and that struck me. Uh, and I'm thinking, why is it that 
America seems to have just gone deaf to to listening to one of their own president, which is usually something that, you know, we listen to our prime minister, okay, so-so, but usually Americans are like, they're tuning in to what the president says. So why would this message just go over like like nothing? It didn't seem to take hold at all. Yeah, that was a very prescient sort of prediction, right? And and it's it's happened today. And, you know, so when you when there's that much money to be made, there's that much of an incentive to to manipulate the public to be mm-hmm. pro-war. So, for example, I'll give you one example of this. It's 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 kind of crazy. The Department of Defense pays tens of millions, if not more, taxpayer dollars to um, professional sports leagues, NFL, NBA, NHL, for example, mm-hmm. for military tributes during during games or for the color guard, you know, when they march out and with the American flag and then, you know, sing the national anthem. Mm-hmm. They, they, they pay for that. The Department of Defense pays to be there. And, and think about this. <laughs> if war is based on our innate tribalism, based on ancient competition between groups of male coalitions in the service of male mate competition like we have discussed mm-hmm. well team sporting events are the modern are the modern invocation of that right yeah i mean you have two groups of competing uh you know team t- males in violent competition with one another like in american football um you have these things you know the all these facets of that of that you know, spectacle. The, the sense really, of, the sense of belonging. You know, a sense of belong. You know, when when a, when a team wins, um, oh, audience good. members, spectators, they get a boost in testosterone mm-hmm. and a drop in testosterone if their if their team loses. It, There's been research looking at that. It's so amazing because I I was making the link not too long ago about how it seems that. Um, if if you take it one step further, politics today and the, the divide that we have in the politics mimics very well what you see in sports. I mean, you're rooting for your team, whether it's the Republicans instead of Team A, and you know, no matter if the the other team does something, oh, you're hollering and yelling, it's unfair. But if your team does the same thing, it's very very quiet. The same thing that if you're watching a sport and your player happens to do something very legal but didn't get caught by the referee, but you don't make a peep about it but if the other guy does it oh well then yeah that referee's bought he's you know he's he's obviously on the payroll of the team blah blah blah. it just it's just amazing the parallels and it seems that we can't seem to as intellectual we are as a species we can't seem to wake up from this almost imaginary stupor absolutely there's there's uh, you know certainly a biased morality towards the end group you know what's been called parochial altruism our our group is moral just kind the other group is morally corrupt you know and we're just blind to the moral infractions of our own group you know and and as as we uh, you know as we talked about in our last conversation our our the tendency to be we're all tribalistic right Mm -hmm. we we all we all evolved in in groups of uh, you know small groups of competing tribes and we all have you know remnants of that history in our psychology but the tendency to be xenophobic or tribalistic falls on a natural curve Mm -hmm. and there are some of us who fall who are way on on one end of the natural curve where we really don't like outsiders really wary of outsiders we're really incredibly patriotic towards our own people most of us are somewhere in the middle and other people are really 
you know, the opposite of xenophobic, which is xenophilic, like really interested in other, other cultures, really open to other people, not fearful of other people. Well, you know, when you, when you, when you measure how much people fear other people or where they fall on that curve, it predicts political ideology, like almost perfectly. So those who are more tribalistic, more fearful of the outside group, tend to be more cons- politically conservative and vice versa for those who are more xenophilic. And keep in mind, we've had, we've had these, these tendencies way before there was any such thing as modern day politics. So coming back to the team sporting events thing, you know, it's no surprise that on average sporting events select for those among us that are more on the tribalistic end of the natural curve. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are liberal people who go to sporting events, but mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of known that, that, you know, sporting events, people who are more, you know, it's a more of like a politically conservative kind of kind of outing, uh, generally speaking, right? Mm-hmm. So what better place to advertise? You know, we're talking about about how how the U.S. could be so interventionist and and, you know, warlike in a certain respect. Well, what, what better place to get public support for the military than than a, a sporting event? That's filled with people who are maybe a little bit more on that side of the natural curve. Mm. You know, what better place to advertise? What better place to stoke the fires to nurture this romantic militarism that that downstream translates into support for military intervention? Is, is it? I, I, I'm, I'm speculating here, but you know, can we? Can we? Can we say that you know this kind of attitude, this very, for lack of a better term, conservative attitude? Uh, non-sympathetic, non-empathic towards uh, people that, you know, even though we're all the same species, can, can, I don't know, it seems to me, as somebody who is liberal, that, you know, this kind of conservative attitude is, for lack of a better term, immature. It seems to me that we know better at this point, and there's really no reason or excuse to actually feel this way. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I tend to approach these studies with uh, you know as much oh emotional distance as i can mm-hmm. you know to be, try to be objective and uh, immature maybe i mean i see what you're saying but you know it had utility and you know when when we were competing for zero sum resources we were, when we were i'm sorry when we were in zero sum competitions for resources meaning that you know resources are limited mm-hmm and one tribe's loss is the other tribe's gain and vice versa you know um, we were when we were at the mercy of nature you know hunting and gathering in environments that were that were that were prone to drought and seasonal migrations and starvation was very common you know that kind of psychology protected you you know because you could compete with the it helped you compete with the outside tribe it helped you coalesce with your tribe's mates. Well, I can and, understand and, having this kind of psychology when, you know, a, a stranger from an outside tribe could bring in a host of diseases, for example, that your tribe wasn't right. immune to it. But right. this is 2020. We don't. We no longer have these kind of built societies. Why is it that, you know, uh, amongst this technological model that we could produce and the science that we have, how come the psychology of the, of the individual person is still incredibly uh, primitive, for lack of a better term? Well, I think I see what you're saying, you know, in terms of, you know, what, what it's what, what I what you're talking about is um, 
is what's known as uh, uh, an evolutionary mismatch. You know, mm. so in other words, sometimes we have traits that that don't adapt to a changing environment, and then they, they don't they don't you know match that environment anymore, and maybe aren't as adaptive or wanted or desirable as they were previously. You know, um, mm. one example is. You know, we craved high-fat, high-sugar foods in our ancestral environments where calories were hard to come by, and those are high-calorie foods. So whenever we came across a cachet of, like, you know, fat or honey or whatever, like, sugar, we just binged on it because it benefited us in our past. It doesn't benefit us now because we now have access to that stuff in just obscene amounts like no other time in our history. So people get people get sick from that kind of – that kind of uh, – you know those kind of cravings. Yeah, but I, um, I think that's a very perfect example, to, as you say so, right? Because I'll be the first one to say, you know, I, I'm craving, let's say, I'm craving salt or fat tonight, and I'm eating potato chips. But even I know at this point, if I eat three bags of potato chips, I'm going to make myself <laughs> sick, and I can have some kind of form of self-control over it. Because I know the science has told me this, but when it comes to political infighting, it's just it's just never registered for some reason. It's just that people don't seem to have the same kind of uh, adaptability and uh, discernment of their own uh, psych- psychological makeup to understand this is what's happening to them. Yeah, and and I I agree with you. I don't. I think that it's. I think war is not desirable. I think infighting is is, you know, can be can be destructive. Um, I think uh, there's uh, there's a lot of wasted energy and potential. And uh, just just look at <laughs> just just look at how many societies across our history have collapsed from within. You know how many civilizations have collapsed from within. Mm, yeah. I mean, I, I see what you're saying, but a lot of it's so unconscious. That's the thing, you know. The, this this notion of instinct blindness. We're we're blind to those instincts. We're blind to what makes us really incensed at the other side and not want to cooperate and and you know want to want to you know close ranks with the people around us against an enemy, you know. And even when the enemy doesn't ex- exist, we create it in our minds, you know. So is there is there any um, hope in us, um, and for lack of a better term, again, growing out of this basic need for fighting that we have as a species, the same way maybe that we, you know, grew out of this need to stuff ourselves as soon as we stumbled upon sugar, or even though maybe not sugar, we still have a lot of diabetics out there. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. But it, it takes bringing all this into conscious awareness. You know, and, and, and understanding it and studying it and having conversations like you and I are having about it. Mm-hmm. Because if not, then we just enact these impulses without consideration, you know. Yeah. And um, and I think, I think having those conversations that we're told not to have, such as about politics or religion or sex or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, we have to have those conversations. Because otherwise, how, how can you become aware of these impulses if you don't talk about them? I absolutely agree, and it's even more uh, uh, its more uh, dangerous because, after all, you, you can have a, a discussion about your sports team. That's fine. That doesn't really affect your life. But a decision about who you're going to vote for would absolutely affect your life and the life of people around you. So uh, the, these, these decisions absolutely need to be discussed in, in, in the light of, of day. 
And uh, I'm glad to see that uh, people like yourself and very smart people like yourself (laughs) are are, uh, actually studying this because I think it's, you know, uh, I mean, just for example, climate change, you know, climate change is something we should have tackled by now. But the the only reason we haven't tackled, which is actually threatening the entire species, the reason we haven't tackled something like that is simply for political purposes and political reasons. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad that the, the field of psychology uh, and people like yourself are at least uh, taking that on. Well, you know, we also need to, to bring to light how our psychology gets manipulated. So for and through political channels, through religious channels. So, for example, um, knowing that religious religiosity and political conservatism are concentrated in the American South, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Department of Dis- Defense spends an obscene amount of money in sponsorship and in advertising at NASCAR, at NASCAR events, you know, in an effort to recruit, in an effort to, to you know, just kind of be in the minds of, of, of the populace. Um, so I think religion often gets co-opted by, you know, by the war machine as well, because I think, you know, as we've talked about before, you know, religions are nothing if not political systems, and, at least, and the Abrahamic faiths are are based on. You know, they they came out of out of uh, you know warring tribes of the Middle East, mm. um, and they have that and they have that tribalistic ethos embedded in them, and 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 so, you know, ha- I, people who are highly religious, um, you know, they tend to support, for example, going to war with Iran. <laughs> um, you know, um, invading Iraq, you know, for example. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's, it's kind of scary when we lived in, in, in uh, the, the 21st century and you hear the president, uh, most powerful man in the world, and I'm making a reference here to George W. Bush, you know, saying something like, uh, yeah, Gog and Magog are in the Middle East. The demons Gog and Magog are in the Middle, Middle East, you know, and we need to go to war against that. It's like, oh, my God, you, you got to be kidding me. This is this is incredible nonsense, but yet you know it seems to appeal to very basic instinct of a lot of people to uh, sway them to yes, go and send your young children out there to die. Yeah, yeah, and televangelist John Hagee or evangelist John Hagee had had weekly meetings with GW, oh, weekly meetings with him, and, and and George Bush said that yeah, God told me to go and into 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 Iraq. And at that time, John Hagee was pushing very hard for a war with Iran, you know, based on this big biblical prophecy about the rapture and the second coming, you know, and, and it's just, it's, it's stunning. It's scary. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It, it is. It absolutely is. Doctor, as, as, a, as a professional yourself and as a man who's studying people and God knows you've got a lot of uh, research behind it and as a guy who can kick ass himself because I've seen that video of you with that, that dummy there when you're kickboxing down his face there I've seen that <laughs> yeah. by the way guys you don't want to mess with Dr. Hector Garcia oh. he will take you to lunch <laughs> oh well <laughs> that's why I'm that's not messing with you <laughs> that's very good therapy uh, is there is there any hope that as a species do we do we see any hope that we are slowly breaking away from 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 the this very primitive urge that we have from the infancy of our species. Oh, I think so. I mean, I mean, you know, just just again the the 
the the book Better Angels of Our Nature. Read it. Yes. You know, it's an amazing book that crunches a huge amount of data looking at looking at how, where we've become. Now, it doesn't always seem like that. You know, it doesn't always it's it seems like we're constantly there's violence everywhere, you know, and and we don't live in a perfect world. You know, we don't live in a world without violence. We don't live in a world without political conflict. But it certainly has gotten better, and I think sometimes there's this perception that 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 you know this whole world is on fire because we're connected to information like no other time in our history. I mean, I sit down at my desk at work and I have three computers in front of me and two cell phones. You know, mm. so if if anything happens in Timbuktu, we all hear about it immediately. You know, so so and and whenever there's violence, it gets blasted on the airwaves just every five seconds because, you know, that kind of stuff sells advertising dollars. But that doesn't mean that 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 we're, you know, that it's not safe to walk outside your door. Um, you know, uh, and in fact, you know, we've gotten a lot more peaceable and there is hope, you know, and I, I agree with Steven Pinker's idea that, you know, the Enlightenment ideals and all that was brought with that. Mm really helps us to um to curb our, our our baser instincts and i really think evolutionary science is key to that because it it brings to light all these ancient urges um ancient drives for better or for worse um and and when you're aware of these of these um imperatives you can make more conscious choices which ones do you want to which ones to continue to serve us mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, one last thing, doctor, uh, for for the audience member listening out there, and you know they might actually recognize themselves in this. Uh, I'm sure we might have some conservative listeners as well, or some people that you know sometimes act a bit too too rash in their their political decisions, or they're 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 quick to anger. What would you recommend to the average person to be able to put himself or herself in check and think a bit about what they're doing before they act upon it? Like act upon, you know, anger towards the opposite side. Fear of the immigrant or, or, you know, things that are obviously from the the very basic human experience. Oh, gosh. Like, well, I I don't know. Uh, You know, I think I think we we have to be aware how those fears get stoked by the media. Mm hmm. I mean, because they do, and towards political ends, there are certain interests that want us fighting each other. I mean, you know, during the 2016 uh, presidential election, for example, I mean, there were all kinds of foreign interests, you know, flooding, flooding, uh, you know, um, social media with memes designed to inflame us, mm. designed to tap on these these ancient tribalistic, you know, tendencies that we have. And turn us against one another. Uh, so you know, learn learn what they are. Learn what those hot buttons are. Study psychology. Study the psychology of tribalism. Um, we need to be. There needs to be media literacy taught in 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 uh, in public schools. So we so the general public knows when they're getting manipulated through the media and through social media. I mean, I think that can help too. Mm. I just realized we're all on this together. I mean, you know. <laughs> that's true. That's that's very true. We're all in this together, and you know, uh, maybe to quote a uh, conservative politician, uh, the late uh, Ronald Reagan basically said, "You know, how quickly our petty differences would be cast aside if we were to face an outside threat." 
realizing that we are still all the same species and i think he was absolutely right yeah that's a common that's a common thought experiment you know so what if there were aliens descending on earth boy we'd throw our difference together our differences aside we'd, we'd come together and 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 fight the enemy i mean and and that that's that's a way people bond you know during the uh during the world war ii when when uh when London was getting firebombed and and people were living in the in the in the subway and under just abysmal conditions, a lot of people missed that afterwards because we got they, people say we got so close we were so close with one another, you know it was intoxicating how close we were but you know but I'd hate to think that we need an ex, an external enemy to be close you know yeah. sometimes those enemies are created they're created by by nations and moneyed interests who have a financial incentive to make war you know so so um you know i don't know maybe we can maybe we can identify some other enemy that's not a person like ignorance like poverty like disease i don't know yeah who I, knows I absolutely maybe agree. we can maybe we can coalesce around some other challenge that doesn't involve you know killing other people and that's a great way to end this. Dr. Hector Garcia, thank you so much for this. But if people want to find out more about your books and your TED Talk, where can they find it? Uh, I think the best way is just through my website, hector-garcia.com. You know, there's links to my TED Talks and, you know, editorial reviews of my book. And it's a way to contact me fantastic. as well. Fantastic. Dr. Garcia, it's always a, a fantastic pleasure to have you on board. Before I let you go, i got to have you say, Hi, this is Dr. Hector Garcia, and when I'm not kicking ass, I take a left of the valley. <laughs> Hi, this is Dr. Hector Garcia, and when I am not kicking ass, I take a left at the valley. Fantastic. And that was Dr. Hector Garcia. Fantastic interview. And, on the, and looking as to why the United States are often, if not always, at war. Uh, God knows, I know I know. when you look at this subject, uh, of course we're talking to a psychologist, uh, it would, would require, uh, a complete answer to that question would require much more than just a psychologist. Mm -hmm. It'd probably require a, a historian, you know, a sociologist, Social, yeah, and, and, et cetera. And, you know, an economist. An economist, <laughs> a politician. But, you know, I'm, hopefully we managed to give you guys at least one little facet as to why. Because I don't know what it is about you. Nancy, you're American. You were American anyway. Why, why is it you think that the Americas always need to uh, feel the need to control and patrol and be the world police? I mean, nobody's really asked them to. Well, you know, they're like everybody else. There's good aspects and bad aspects to their national character. And, you know, power power and greed, uh, you know, has played, has played a part and dominating has played a part and civil rights has too. Mm -hmm. It goes in, it goes in cycles. But um, I, I think the fact that it's a democracy has allowed a lot of this to happen too. You yeah. Know? Anyway, hopefully. I mean, people get, people have, as, as uh, Chris, Chris, Christina says, capitalism, mm -hmm. there's a, there's an awful lot in the American. It's a complex character. answer. It's, it's very complex. It's a complex answer. It's hopefully complex. we We've managed to shift a bit of light on that today. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with me today, uh, guys, and thank you so much for it was fun. Dr. Garcia for being our guest. I hope you and guys all enjoyed our random conversation. Thank you for listening. <laughs> You can find us at leftandvalley.com. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, at LETV Podcast. Uh, you can find us at uh, 
you can send us an email at left at valley at outlook.com. You can find us, uh, give us a five star review on wherever you find us. It helps we us love and your helps emails. others find the show. Please give us a five star review. We yeah. really could use them. <laughs> and you can help support the show, making it grow by being becoming a patron at Patreon slash LETV. Okay, coming up next week, our old friend Thomas Westbrook will be back. Woo-hoo. So we'll be talking about a whole bunch of things. And then, of course, for the beginning of March, we have some special guests. We also are going to be a guest ourselves for James McGaffick, the James McGaffick show. Oh my gosh, oh. really? I didn't Where know Where have this. you been? <laughs> In my head. And after that, we have our old friend, our cha- returning champion, Dr. Ben Davis is coming back to talk about the pseudoscience. We'll be talking to Dave Warnock as well. And uh, let's see, where are we going after that? Uh, we got Neil, the 604 Atheist, coming down. And our returning guy, Chris Shelton, part two as well, will be coming back as well somewhere in April. So anyway, we got some nice. good stuff coming down the pipe. We always have good stuff coming down the pipe. Exactly. And even if we don't even have guests, we're still awesome by ourselves. We are. Yeah, well, we always have a guest. We're awesome. Usually. I know, but I mean, just saying. Don't say that. We can't be too awesome. Remember the uh, fuck another you. brilliant boy? God is, God is angry at you now. Awesome. God is Do angry. I look like I care? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, ladies. Until next time. I'll be good to go. Okay, that's, we'll, we'll, we'll see how good of uh, thanks, guys, for doing that, by the way. I really appreciate that. Uh, here, here's here's the premise of what I want to do. Um, okay. uh, uh, we're gonna see. Well, uh, we're gonna recall your acting talent today. Because what I'm gonna do here is, uh, of course, you guys know about the prank war we have with the uh, Amy and Amy and Sayuji, right? It's all yes. it's all yep. in good fun, and of course I know Rich that you're the one editing your show. Now let me guess. No, <laughs> as much as I would love to say you should just sabotage the editing, I'm not gonna ask you to do that because that's, that'd be just horrible. Because Kevin's Canadian. <laughs> yes, because we're nice people. But what I want to do is one of the pranks that we did earlier on for the, the show is we did like a, a current affair commercial, you know, about secular soup and going undercover to detect what's going on. And I kind of want to do the same thing, but with the editor this time. And I kind of want to do this this 2020 question about, you know, uh, Deanne going, my husband used to be so alive with joy, and then he started adding the soup thing, and now he's like a slave to his work, and she's crying. And then, <laughs> then of course, I've got Rich going behind, you know, eventually somewhere down the line saying, oh, come on, Amy, I'm doing the best I can. And I'm going to replace Amy's voice with Jabba the Hunt. <laughs> We're just going to do this like an undercover ad for a current affair. And, of course, I need your talented voice for that. Sounds, okay. sounds like a bird. I call it how I see it.